It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, August 16th, 2021. I'm Kelly Reese and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. A new study from Harvard University shows higher levels of wildfire smoke amplify COVID-19 cases tonight on the California Report. And in national native news, the U.S. Census shows big gains for American Indian and Alaska Native populations. We'll take a brief look at regional headlines and weather before Al Stoller gives us insight into our avian backyard neighbor, the robin, to close out our newscast. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. Crews battling the massive Dixie Fire in Northern California are expecting challenging conditions over the next two days. Forecasters have issued a local red flag warning starting at 3 this afternoon and going through 10 o'clock tomorrow night. Winds are expected to pick up substantially, and a lot of the smoke that's been covering the fire zone is expected to clear, which means there will be much less humidity. The fire has burned almost 570,000 acres and has destroyed more than 620 homes. Well, researchers know that wildfire smoke can make people more vulnerable to severe lung infection. A new study from Harvard estimates that inhaling wildfire smoke contributed to the deaths of hundreds of Californians due to COVID-19 last year. KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports. On September 9, 2020, more than two dozen wildfires burned throughout California, including some of the largest in state history. And in the Bay Area, the skies turned so hazy, people couldn't see the sun during the day. It just felt scary, you know, that day. I remember, like, it looked different, like dark, reddish. Susana Villanueva shows me a photo of her sister, Maribel, at the home where they lived together in Oakland. This is her. Right here. I think this was for my mom's birthday right here, and she's right here. And this is Susana remembers her sister started coughing during those smoke-filled days last September. Air pollution skyrocketed. But Maribel kept going to work at a daycare. She walked and took the bus, wearing only a cloth mask. You know, I do remember her saying, you know, before we even knew that she had COVID, she said, oh, you know, she felt cold-like symptoms, and um, she said, you know, I think it was the smoke that really affected me, and that's why I have this cough. Maribel's symptoms got worse. She died from COVID in early October. She was 46 years old and a single mom. She left behind a young son. Definitely there's, there's times where, you know, I mean, if I miss my sister, I'm pretty sure he misses his mom. Alameda County, where Maribel Villanueva lived, saw one of the biggest spikes in COVID-19 deaths linked to the smoke last year, according to a new study published in the journal Science Advances. Researchers found that higher levels of air pollution from western wildfires amplified COVID-19 cases and deaths in several counties in Oregon, Washington, and California. This study, for the first time, I think, will make the clear link between climate change, and the pandemic. Francesca Dominici is a professor at the Harvard School of Public Health and one of the study's authors. The drought and heat are a major driver of larger wildfires in the state. These megafires emit toxic particles that can travel thousands of miles. Wildfire exposure and COVID are actually 
really dangerous com combination together. Wildfire smoke can hurt the immune system and its response and make people more prone to lung infections, including from COVID-19. People can protect themselves from the smoke by staying indoors with windows and doors shut. But that's not an option for people who have to work outside their home, especially in low-income communities of color. John Balms is a pulmonologist at the University of California, San Francisco. They're also at greater risk for uh, COVID-19. So it's an environmental justice issue that you know, our society should be dealing with. He thinks local governments should do more to provide N95 masks and portable air filters to lower-income families, especially essential workers, like Maribel Villanueva, the daycare worker who died in October. Her sister says they don't know for sure if the smoke made her COVID symptoms worse, but Maribel didn't have an air filter at home or an N95. After Maribel's funeral, Susana took custody of Maribel's son. He just turned 11. She tells him, You know, I will never be able to replace your mom. But I'm here. We love you. I want you to know that we care for you. So, just taking it one day at a time. One day at a time, but she knows they'll miss her forever. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. Support for the California Report comes from SF MoMA, presenting the exclusive U.S. exhibition of Nam June Beck, a visionary global artist who bridged art, music, performance, and technology. Learn more at sfmoma.org. California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about health care, on the web at chcf.org voices. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. With population data from the 2020 census just out, we're starting to get a look at how California has changed over the last decade. As KQED's Taiki Hendricks explains, the data now jumpstarts the work of redistricting, drawing the maps that will define legislative districts for the next decade. Russell Yee is a theology professor from Oakland. He's also one of 14 citizens on the state's Independent Redistricting Commission. He says with COVID, the commission is holding dozens of public forums online to get input from Californians. People can email us. People can draw a map on a napkin and mail it into us. Commissioners need to make districts with equal population and protect the voting rights of minorities. The new census data shows California's diversity has continued to grow. Latinos are now the state's largest single ethnic or racial group, and the Asian population grew much faster than the state as a whole. That's according to Hans Johnson, a demographer at the Public Policy Institute of California. Between 2010 and 2020, California was receiving two or even three times as many immigrants from Asia as from Latin America. And that's a big change. Many feared the pandemic and interference by the Trump administration would deter people from responding to the census. But Johnson says California spent tens of millions of dollars on a huge campaign to get people to participate, and it looks like it paid off. We spent far more in this census than any other state and far more than we had in the past. The redistricting commission has until the end of the year to draw boundaries for 52 congressional districts, that's one less than we have now, and all our state legislative districts. For The California Report, I'm Taiki Hendricks. 
And that's the California Report for this Monday, August 16th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. New census data puts California second only to Hawaii in terms of diversity. Up next, Cal News explains what this means for the state's new legislative district maps. New census data shows California is the second most diverse state in the nation behind Hawaii, and that has big implications for new legislative districts that will be drawn over the next few months. The California Citizens Redistricting Commission took over the map-making duties from the legislature after the 2010 census, so this is their second go-around. Cathay Fang with Common Cause says the goal is to create fair political district maps that allow voters to choose their politicians and not the other way around. The lines are no longer tied to where incumbents live or partisan bases. They're tied to where those populations are growing. And so we may see significant shifts in the way the lines are purely based on those demographic changes. In the past, lawmakers tended to draw districts that protected incumbents and diluted the voting power of communities of color by packing them into one district or spreading them out into multiple districts. Now, nonprofits such as All on the Line are prepping community groups to speak out with a program called Redistricting You that holds its next online class tomorrow night. The Citizens Redistricting Commission already has started taking public testimony and has many hearings coming up. The schedule is online at wedrawthelinesca.org. Fang encourages everyday citizens to get involved in the process. You do not need to be an expert at redistricting. If you can say, here's where we're at, here are the issues that we care about, that is what the commission needs to hear. The census data showed that no one ethnic group forms a majority in the state. The Latino population in California has gone up by more than 11 percent since 2010. The state is now roughly 41% white, 39% Latino, 15% Asian, and less than 6% black. This is Suzanne Potter for California News Service. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Coming up on National Native News, a federal appeals court addresses whether law enforcement agencies can be held liable when their on-duty officers sexually assault someone. Support for this program provided by Girdwood, Alaska. Take a drive down the scenic highway past Beluga Point. Hike Bird Ridge and enjoy what Girdwood has to offer. Exploring your home state is the COVID-safe way to enjoy the summer. This is National Native News. I'm Trip Krause in for Antonia Gonzalez. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, its 2020 demographic data shows about a 25% increase from the 2010 census in the number of American Indians and Alaska Natives who self-reported and were not combined with any other race. That puts the estimated total about 3.7 million, or 1.1% of the total U.S. population. Between the 2010 and 2020 data, American Indians and Alaska Natives who reported in a combination with another race rose by about 160% and now account for 2.9% of the total population. The census data will be used to determine levels of federal funding to tribes and tribal communities, as well as legislative redistricting. Tribal and health officials with the Forest County Potawatomi community are warning of COVID-19 cases that have been linked to the tribe's recent powwow in Wisconsin. Daniel Kading reports. As of Thursday, a tribal spokesperson confirmed that two people who attended the powwow had tested positive for the virus. Tribal chairman Ned Daniels Jr. said in an announcement on social media that the tribe is taking extra precautions, including postponing future large gatherings. I don't ever want to see our community shut down because of this virus again, but 
postponing a large gathering is one way we can help right now. The Lac de Flambeau and Menominee tribes are also urging people to get tested if they attended the event. Medical Director Amy Slagle with the Menominee Tribal Clinic said they had tested about 40 people as of Thursday. None have been positive who've identified it being at that powwow. But Slagle says it may be this week before any new cases emerge that could be tied to the event. The powwow typically draws hundreds of people from across the region. For National Native News, I'm Daniel Kading. A federal appeals court is considering the case of a woman who was raped by a Bureau of Indian Affairs officer, and now it's asking Montana's Supreme Court to determine whether law enforcement agencies in the state can be held liable when their on-duty officers sexually assault someone. Montana Public Radio's Freddie Monadas has more. The question from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals stems from a 2018 federal case in which former BIA officer Dana Bullcoming coerced and impregnated a Northern Cheyenne woman after threatening to arrest her. The woman, identified by her initials in court documents, sued Bullcoming, the BIA, and the federal government for damages and child support. A judge found Bullcoming liable for the rape and awarded the woman $1.6 million. However, the judge ruled the federal government, including the BIA, was not liable for Bullcoming's actions. That's different from Montana laws, which allow local law enforcement agencies to be held liable for actions of their on-duty officers. In the court's question to the high court filed Monday, they write, This federal policy creates a dichotomy that likely has a disproportionate effect on Montana's indigenous population, who are more likely to interact with federal officers. Bullcoming pleaded guilty in 2018 to deprivation of rights under the color of law and is serving a three-year prison sentence. For National Native News, I'm Freddie Monades. The Navajo Nation will return to its orange status restrictions in a wake of a new surge of COVID-19 cases. The restrictions will include capacity levels for businesses. On August 11th, the Navajo Department of Health reported 49 new COVID-19 cases for the nation and two more deaths. A blood quantum requirement prevents Native Hawaiians from passing their land leases under the 1920 Hawaiian Homes Commission Act to family members with less than one-quarter Hawaiian blood. A proposed federal bill would lower the blood quantum requirements from 25% to about 3%. A former Navajo Nation president has passed away. Fifth Navajo Nation President Kelsey Begay died of natural causes Friday in Flagstaff, Arizona. He was 70. For National Native News, I'm Trip Krause. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This reminder to get your COVID-19 vaccination is provided by the Association of American Indian Physicians and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention who support this show. Info at aaip.org or cdc.gov slash coronavirus. Support by the Sanoski Chambers Law Firm, championing tribal sovereignty and defending Native American rights since 1976, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. In regional news, Sacramento Mayor Daryl Steinberg is considering a mandate requiring people to show proof of a COVID-19 vaccine in order to enter bars, restaurants, concert venues, and gyms, reports the Sacramento Bee. Amid the highly contagious Delta variant, Sacramento County's daily cases have skyrocketed, 
from 7.2 per 100,000 residents for the week ending July 1st to 28 per 100,000 by July 31st, according to the local health office. Steinberg is still working out the details of the potential mandate. It's possible that a recent negative test could also be accepted for entry. Sacramento could become one of the first major cities in the country to impose such a mandate, following San Francisco and New York. Starting Friday, San Francisco will require people to show proof of being fully vaccinated to enter bars, restaurants, entertainment venues, and fitness facilities. Employees of those businesses have until October 13th to be vaccinated, a component that would not be part of the Sacramento mandate as of now. New York City will start Tuesday requiring patrons of such businesses to show proof of at least one dose to enter, the first major city in the country to do so. All evacuations for the River Fire have been lifted in Nevada County and are reflected in evacuation maps for Nevada County at readynevadacounty.org slash zonehaven. The Nevada County Sheriff's Office kept local roadblocks and evacuation orders in place to give the residents ample time to go in with the reentry passes issued by the Sheriff's Office last week, survey any damages, and secure any personal property before reopening the evacuation areas burned by the river fire. The Nevada County Sheriff's Office still encourages the public to avoid the area unless necessary and be cautious of remaining utility and fire crews in the area. Those impacted by the river fire are encouraged to find resources and next steps in the recovery process at readynevadacounty.org slash riverfirerecovery. The Union of Grass Valley reports the Nevada Irrigation District announced today that it reopened Rollins Lake for both day use and camping at Orchard Springs, Long Ravine, Peninsula, and Greenhorn Campgrounds. On August 5th, Rollins Lake was evacuated and closed due to its proximity to the river fire. As the Dixie Fire continues to rage, PG&E announced it could cut power for roughly 39,000 residents across 16 counties in Northern California on Tuesday night to reduce the risk of wildfires from energized power lines. Strong southwest winds are expected to arrive in the northern part of the state beginning Monday, colliding with searing temperatures and parched vegetation, a cocktail of conditions known to stoke extreme fire behavior. A red flag warning for the Dixie Fire burn area is expected to last through 10 p.m. Tuesday, with gusts expected to top out at 35 miles per hour Tuesday. Temperatures will hover in the mid-90s, potentially hitting the low triple digits in some areas. PG&E began alerting customers about the potential shutoffs on Sunday through text, email, and automated calls. The utility said in a news release that the planned shutoffs are a preemptive step to tamp down risk amid the dangerous weather conditions. Most of the residents in the potential shutoff area, about 27,000, are in Butte and Shasta counties, reports the Los Angeles Times. And now for regional weather and your air quality index. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 66. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 87. Current air quality is unhealthy with an AQI of 169. Tomorrow's air quality is unhealthy for sensitive groups with a potential AQI of 111. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, widespread haze and smoke with a low around 53. Tomorrow, widespread haze and smoke as well, with a high near 79. Current air quality is unhealthy, with an AQI of 154. Tomorrow's air quality is moderate, with a potential AQI of 86. 
The National Weather Service has issued a red flag warning in effect tomorrow from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. for gusty winds and low humidity for the greater Lake Tahoe-Truckee area. This combination can cause fire to rapidly grow in size and intensity before first responders can contain it. In addition, the National Weather Service has issued a lake wind advisory in effect tomorrow from noon to 10 p.m. for gusts up to 40 miles per hour, creating two to four foot waves on Lake Tahoe and in surrounding bodies of water. Small boats, kayaks, and paddleboards will be prone to capsizing and should remain off lake waters until conditions improve. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, clear with a low around 64. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 92. Current air quality is unhealthy for sensitive groups with an AQI of 127. Tomorrow's air quality is moderate with a potential AQI of 82. The National Weather Service has issued a fire weather watch in effect from tomorrow evening through Wednesday for the Sacramento area. Gusty winds, low humidity, and dry fuels create critical fire weather conditions. Not all dinosaurs are extinct. One line of dinosaurs still lives with us now. That line evolved into birds. Al Stoller spoke with Keith Hansen and Ted Beatty, authors of Hansen's Field Guide to the Birds of the Sierra Nevada, about a dinosaur descendant that lives in nearly all our backyards. How do you know you're looking at a robin? You see a bird bounding across your lawn, having a tug of war with an earthworm. Well, you can be pretty darn sure it's a robin. They've got a joyful, bubbly song that kind of permeates the neighborhood. Robins have a red breast. The male has the more ruddy colored breast, and it's not truly red. It's kind of a, a terracotta brick orange color. And the female is somber in hue compared to the male. He has a black head and hers is gray. Is there something about the robin's behaviors? They bound across the yard. They don't run. They bound on both legs at the same time. And then they come absolutely to a motionless stop. And then they might cock their head because they're feeling the earthworms underground, the vibrations through their feet, and they know right where to shove that bill in the dirt and pull that earthworm up. They are feeling the ground for the squirming of the earthworm. Yes. And sometimes you'll see robins like tapping their foot in like this rapid manner. And it's thought that that is almost like the drops of rain hitting the grass. When earthworms feel it begin to rain, they start to move. And so the robin approximates the vibration of raindrops. The earthworms then move and boom, they know right where to go. That earthworm does not want to come out of the ground. Does it have a way to hold on? It's in an earthworm-shaped tube underground. It's kind of torquing its body and anchoring itself, if at all possible. Now, the robin usually wins or at least gets half an earthworm. The black-headed grosbeak also has if not a red breast, has an orange breast, so conceivably could be confused. Gross beak means large beak. So quick and dirty, if we are looking at a bird and say, that might be a robin because of that breast, that really large beak. All you need to do is see what they're doing. If the bird's bounding across your lawn, it's definitely a robin. 
If the bird is coming to your seed feeder, it's definitely a black-headed grosbeak. Robins do not feed on seed feeders. Grosbeaks come to eat sunflower seeds all the time. That grosbeak, that large beak, would be very useful for opening up seeds. Right. And they tend to be more up in the trees, whereas robins tend to be in the lower strata and on the ground and in the shadows under the bushes and things. And grosbeaks are usually higher up in the trees. So they're completely different in their behaviors. Ted, Keith, thank you very much. It's been good talking with you. I look forward to talking again. Thank you, Rob. Well, thank you. I've been speaking with Keith Hansen and Ted Beatty, authors of Hansen's Field Guide to the Birds of the Sierra Nevada. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. That's our newscast for tonight, Monday, August 16th, 2021. KVMR gets support from Prosperity Lanes, offering 18 lanes of solar-powered air-conditioned bowling. With group and special needs accessibility, black light bowling, also league bowling. Shirley's Grill serves salads, breakfast, burgers, and beer. Open daily, prosperitylanes.com. Stick around. At 6.30, it's the Women's International News Gathering Service, WINGS. On tonight's program, a Chilean group known as Las Tesis created a chant against impunity for perpetrators of rape and systemic violence against women, which soon was taken up in versions in other languages across the world. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.